So I have titled the preach, it's already there. It says, An Encouraging Tale of a Journey Through Life. Now, where on earth Baz got that bike picture from, I don't know. Um, I don't think that would get as far in life. And it's certainly not a bike that I would use myself as I do. But I appreciate enormously the effort, Baz. And thank you for the connection with cycling. I was in Scotland last week. We went on holiday. We're in the northwest of Scotland, which is fantastic. And I took my racing bike. And I wouldn't have gone up many mountains if I'd have been on that. But fortunately, I wasn't. So a journey through life. We, we journey, don't we, through our lives. Um, everybody journeys through life. But when we have this faith, this Christian walk, if you like, as we, as we very grandly call it, I see it in a slightly different context and a slightly different way. Um, and for years now, when I've been out on my bike, um, I often sing to myself, rather amusingly, but it passes the time. And things come into your head. Some of it's um, local, uh, sort of contemporary popular music. But often, it's stuff that just comes from nowhere. And for many, many years, I found myself humming along to tunes like Onward Christian Soldiers, um, believe it or not. I think it's when you're climbing mountains and you need some inspiration to get up and you think, how am I going to do it? And a favorite is the Pilgrim's Progress, which I've sung for years in my head and never really given any thought to at all. But I think when we think about our journey through life, in a slightly old-fashioned way, it's a pilgrimage because we're not simply journeying. We have a purpose and a goal to attain in our lives. And a pilgrimage means something if we, if we understand it in that context. And again, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, but we have a start point, of course. If you can just pop the first scripture up, please, Baz. Um, and we all reach this point at some time within our lives. We may be very young. We may be in our middle years. Or we may be... Um, an older person, when we reach this point, just as the disciples did, um, and this is taken from the Bible from Matthew, and it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. So they were doing their work. They were doing what they were used to doing on, on earth. They were journeying through life. One assumes they were fishermen. We know they were fishermen. They weren't doing this as a sport. Um, they did this to feed themselves. So they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, this is the bit that gets me. At once, they left their nets and followed him. So from doing their daily task, their work, um, fishing, they were challenged by this man who they'd never met before. They may have heard of, and instantly they dropped everything and followed him. They completely transformed their journey from one path onto another. Now, at the time, they didn't have an understanding as we do now of Jesus' life, of Jesus' purpose for us, and of a salvation, 
and a journey's end from that point of view. And yet they still were inspired at the moment to follow, to drop everything that they had and turn away from where they were and move on a different path. And it fascinates me that that's what happened to them. The power that Christ must have had at the time to have drawn them into that place. And logically, I, I can't get my head around a position where anybody could convince me to do that. I would be discussing it in my mind or even with the individual and challenge them and asking them, why do, why do you want me to follow you? And we'd be thinking, well, what, what's going to happen if I follow this person today? What have I left behind? Did I lock the door? You know, did I tell man that I was going to follow somebody today? Are the kids still at school? Have I got to pick them up tonight? A million and one things that we have in our heads at the time of anything like this that draw us back into our worldly being and prevent us possibly from, from, from following in this way. But of course, it wasn't that that they were following. They were drawn to this person because of the spiritual connection that they had. So the worldly being that we have tries to rationalize these thoughts and never does it because it doesn't make sense. But the spiritual sees the Son of God, clearly has some instinct for that, and follows. Now that begins a journey that's quite scary because every fiber of your being thinks this is illogical. And when we go out there into the world and speak of Christ, more often than not, people think we're illogical. They think we're possibly crazy. Talking, we, we talk of prayer meetings. What do we do when we come and pray? You know, when we're speaking to somebody who isn't here. It's madness to the world. But we have a faith within us and we have a spiritual side to us that's awakened. And that's what Christ did. Now we... I think, are blessed in that we understand the full journey. We understand what Christ offers us. We understand salvation. So when we begin our journey, we see a different context to Christ and to what he can do for us. And so our journey would begin. And it begins as a pilgrimage because it has somewhere to go. But we mustn't forget that we still walk this earth we sometimes, I think, feel that when we get to know Christ, we're taken away from the problems of the world and the challenges of the world, and we're just going to fall into a bed of roses and existence will be fantastic. But of course it isn't, is it? We still walk this earth. We still face the challenges of this earth. And that's when my head went back to the song, The Pilgrim's Progress. So I actually read the words, and as often you do when you do these things, you realize when you sang it in your head, you never sang the right words anyway. But, but I've written them down. It's quite old-fashioned how it is. But it goes like this. I don't know if I can speak it. I might have to sing it. You'll have to join in. It goes like this. He who would valiant be. Sounds like, I'm sorry, I'm in Shakespeare, don't I? Against all disaster, let him in constancy follow the master. There's no discouragement shall make him once relent his first avowed end. You see, you can't but do it that way. To be a pilgrim. And then there's other verses, and I'll, I'll come to those. But more and more, 
who so beset him round with dismal stories. It goes on. But the point is, there's meaning in, in the words, and it's actually an interesting story. It's, I mean, it, it's an allegory for life. It's a description of a human being who quests for something beyond what he has. So he's living a life. He's, he's not started this journey. He's a fisherman, if you like, or he's every man. He's, he's whatever we are. And he suddenly has an awakening within him of something else, some other possibility within life, something beyond what he's used to. And he begins a quest of discovery. And his name in the, in the book's Christian, which is a convenient way of putting it, because that's all maybe of us here today. And on the journey, he encounters many, many people. Um, and within the, the book, they, they are given names that, that we would, some we would recognize, some are quite old-fashioned words now. But people that we encounter on the journey, some of them who are very supportive and, and, and steer us down the right path. Some who sadly are there to try and steer us away. And yet he has a goal, his first avowed intent, which is to be a pilgrim. So it doesn't finish when we come to Christ. It's the beginning of a journey. And the journey's end is some distance away, which, which, which again we'll come to. But we have to recognize, and we've talked about this this year, we, we have a vision here this year of discipleship. We, we, we believe as, as a, a leadership, I guess, of a church with whatever responsibility that gives us to help people along that journey upon that pilgrimage, if you like, not simply to stand at the point of recognition and acknowledgement of Christ as their saviour, but then to do what these guys did, to follow, to be willing to go on that journey, wherever it may take us, knowing that we're still within this world, which is why, after all, Christ came, because he needed to demonstrate to us how to live a life within the challenges and the difficulties of, of an existence such as this that we have, because we're all fleshly beings. So we constantly have to face the difficulties and the challenges that come to us. And the story helps with that, if you read the book. It's very good. Um, I read the children's version last week because Sam took it with him when we went to Scotland. And I thought, that's interesting, because I've already written this down. wasn't sure whether to go with it. And then I read it, and I thought, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes sense. So it is that way. It's, it's a journey. And we mustn't forget, and this is the discipleship that we want to, to help you with this year, that to achieve your goal, which again, I'll, I'll come to, hopefully, we don't run out of time, um, you have to move from where you are. We can't stay in that place where we've come to Christ because we're still here. Now, in the Bible, Paul spoke of this. Paul had a desire when he got to know Christ, basically, to finish his existence, his human existence. He longed to be with Christ. Now, we have a responsibility to live our lives, I believe, on this earth because God in his infinite wisdom chose us as vessels to outwork his desires on earth. When, he, when Jesus um, taught us to pray, part of the Lord's prayer 
I have to say it from the beginning. I can't jump in halfway through. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, those words indicate to me that God's will isn't always done on earth. And we only have to switch the television on any night to see that God's will isn't often done on earth. He's given us, and I've said this many times, he's given us this greatest gift, which is the freedom to choose what we do with our lives. What he's then done is he said, like I said earlier on, God, can you give me the words? No, you're going to have the words. You're going to have the actions. I've given you the path, the narrow path, of course, which is the way it always is, to follow, but you are the vessel by which the world will be transformed and by which other people will get to know the same as you know, which is the fishes of men. So when we're here and we come to Christ, it's the start of the journey. This is the point of the discipleship. It's quite challenging, forgive me, but it's not the point at which the journey's end is. It's the beginning And our responsibility as citizens of the world is then to move, to do something with our lives, with our existence, to shape things for the better, for God's will. Now, I wish God had come and do it all for us. It would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? We can sit at home, we can watch Sky Sports, we can drink coffee, and we can have a good time. But it isn't that way. Yes, we can do those things, but there's a purpose beyond, and that's what we're here for. And that's part of the journey. But the discipleship needs to take place to help us to get there. Because as with Christian the pilgrim, through the walk of life, we still exist in this fleshly body. And every single day we know that the fleshly body demands certain things that aren't necessarily aligned to Christ. And in the story of the pilgrim, he's constantly challenged by people who will try and pull him back into the world who will try and tempt him and lead him astray, who will want him to, to, to basically to set up camp in a particular place, which is full of um, desirable um, worldly being and beings and, and things, things which give us pleasure. And the temptation we know is always, always there. The discipleship helps us to move beyond that. And that's what we're here for. Okay. So... There's toughness in this, and hopefully you'll see it's encouraging at the end, but I don't want to stand here today and make you all go home and think life's wonderful as it is, and we can just go out with a smile on our faces, because the reality of the world isn't that way, and we're mature enough to see that, that when we wake up tomorrow morning, when we're at work or at school on a Tuesday afternoon, and a situation comes about that's challenging, that's tempting, we need to be able to get through that. We need to find the right answers, follow the right path, this narrow path that Christ sets out for us, not the broad, wide path that looks so tempting at times. And there's a purpose in that. It's not just there for the sake of it. There's a purpose in it. Um, I better move on. This is the other problem when you don't preach very often. You wander about and you preach and you run out of time very, very quickly. Um, So the journey so far, I think we better put point one up, please. I know. I bet you're thinking, I hope he's finishing in a minute, and I'm only on point one. There's some, there's some personal stuff in this as well, but it is, hopefully it's biblical. 
um, <laughs> which is important, obviously, because I, I was saying to somebody yesterday, I went to the rugby yesterday with work, um, and I had a wonderful time speaking freely about this, actually, and speaking today, um, and trying to explain to people the importance of of representing God so well, so referring to the Bible, understanding fundamentally from the Bible, please not from me, from the Bible what matters, what Jesus said, not what I say. I am merely an interpreter of it, and hopefully I get some of it right. So we have a point here that says your greatest moment. I think one of the difficult challenges that we face um, within our world now is what we perceive to be our journey's end. And even though we talk of the pilgrimage and, and hopefully we're uplifted by um, the journey, by, by our quest to serve Christ, by the desire through love, through acknowledgement of what he's done for us, to journey through life and do the right things. But at the same time, we, we, we have this human existence, which, if we're not careful, draws ourselves back to our own personal desires. And we see this in the Bible. If you can put my next scripture up, please, Baz. Luke 22 says, this is the same disciples that one might say blindly followed Christ with no consideration for their previous existence, simply followed. Sometime later, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now, where did that come from? These people who desired to serve, to follow, to do all that he did, behind his back when they're wandering along their journey, have obviously been talking to each other about who's the greatest, which can only come from a desire to fulfill some of those human characteristics that we all have, which is, if we're not careful, affirmation, pride, a perception of success, and our value in attaining what we perceive to be success, as opposed to what God wants to see as success. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. So he's giving them a reminder that their journey is along a narrow path. They veered from the path. They've gone to the wide path. They've seen the world. They've desired what's in the world. They want to attain what's in the world. They want greatness. And they also want him to be selective within them to say who is the greatest. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. It's a transformation, isn't it, if you grasp that in your life, that how much of our effort goes into striving to attain something that Christ just then smashes to pieces with one sentence. That our purpose is not for that. Our purpose is not for self-attainment to say, I am the greatest. The wonderful boxer once said that, didn't he? And probably was the greatest boxer. But if that's the purpose of your life, in a Christian sense, what have you actually achieved? And when we stand in front of God at the end of our days, if we channeled all our efforts into something such as that, have we fulfilled his purposes in our life? They went on. There's another scripture, please, Baz. 
Mark 10. Um, there's a slight little bit before this. James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Once again, despite the time they've spent with him, they've fallen back into the self-interest trap and they desire stuff for themselves, clearly. Christ says to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized. Apologies. Before that, Christ says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, it's not an unreasonable request to want to be close to Christ. But I sense within this, again, a sense of affirmation, a desire to be in a certain place because they want a status beyond others. Christ says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they are prepared. When he heard this, he became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. High officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Not easy, is it? To look at life that way. And whoever wants to be first amongst you, slave of all. Now, who desired that when Jesus came to us and said, come follow me? Who really expected that in their lives? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this challenged me, and that's why I put the point, your greatest moment. Too much of my time I spend seeking out what I think is my own greatness, my own perception of success. My journey through life falls away into a desire to feel that I've achieved. And sometimes I can convince myself that I'm doing what Christ wants me to do because he's given me talents and he's given me skills and I'm doing that. And, that, and that's all well and good. I understand there's an element within that. But we also have to consider what he desires from us really what the truth is within what we achieve. I often think of um, great historical people, and um, sometimes you kind of, in a childish way, think about when you go to heaven, who will be there? You'll join the queue, and, <laughs> and there'll be a load of people, won't there? And people sometimes think, I mean, the classic one is, who would you want at a dinner party? And you get all these fantastic people. Um, and you think, well, maybe we'll meet them. You know, and, and, and we'll be able to stand in awe at what they did. Um, Leonardo da Vinci, Isaac Newton, um, Winston Churchill. More recently, I guess, because I'm showing my age again, people like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. People that the world would probably say have achieved greatness. And there's no denying that they've influenced and shaped a lot of modern culture. Some have done that in the past as well, of course. But I often think, but God, they had a talent for that. They were blessed with an ability to do certain things. And I see greatness, and I think Christ sees greatness in other ways often. Um, there was a, 
a man in the Second World War, I'm sure you'll have heard of, called Oscar Schindler, who had no desire as he set out in life to be a savior of Jews. His desire was to make profit from business, and he found himself in the Second World War running a factory, a munitions factory um, in, in Second World War Germany. Um, and yet what he saw at the time compelled him to change his path. And he was drawn to do something that didn't conform to his previous self, which was self-serving, which was desiring stuff for him. And he spent the wartime, as I'm sure many of you know, saving people from the Nazis. Now, to me, there's greatness in that. There's greatness in that desire to do something that you are compelled to do out of doing the right thing. Maybe he didn't even fully understand why he was doing it at the time, but he did it. He took an opportunity to do something that was completely without gain for himself, but that actually enabled many people to live and to journey on through life. And that's success to me. That's genuine success. Martin Luther King, who was a pastor in, in the United States, I'm sure again, you know, in the 1960s, found himself in a position where he was appalled by what he saw daily in, in his walk of life and couldn't prevent himself from doing something about it. Again, he had a compulsion to do something. And of course, he became a great orator and he was a very charismatic man. Um, I've written down some of his words here. I don't even know if I can say them with any meaning and do him justice. And I feel I should do it with an American accent as well, which I can't do. But he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Amazing words. He, was, he had a compulsion to do that. Now, he became a great man. But to me, the thing that made him great, other than his conviction, of course, to do what he did, was that he did it through following a narrow path. He could have chosen a violent path. He, he had many, many people following him who desired change in the United States at the time. And yet his conviction was to do this peacefully. And he retained a peaceful approach to the protests that they did. And they were successful. But to me, when he met his God, and of course he lost his life as a result, I think God would have been pleased beyond anything else with the fact that he had the conviction to stand by what was Christ's purpose, which was to be peaceful on this earth. Because you can be misguided. You can think that your approach upon something is actually what you want to do. And you can think that the, 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 the goal that you've got to achieve should be achieved at any cost. Sadly, we see it in life so often, don't we? And people compromise their character to reach the goal. I'm afraid we see it in sport often. We only have to watch a single match in football now to see that happen. Um, I've seen it in cycling where, sadly, drugs have been taken by cyclists. Unfair examples, maybe, because people are pressured for certain reasons. But it's so easy, isn't it, to fall into the trap of compromise to achieve what we think is greatness. And imagine getting to the end and finding God looking upon you 
And again, we, we, Jesus' words ring to mind when he says things like, I don't know you, and you didn't serve me well because whilst we think we have, we've not followed his, his purposes in our lives. We've not discipled ourselves down the important path, which is the fundamentals of what we should do. It, it, it's, it stirs me to think of these things, but it's important to remain in character. And what I mean by that is sometimes we can become consumed by the desire to serve the goal as opposed to serve Christ. And that's when I look here now and I look at you, I see greatness in all of you. It's not about the success of the achievement and being on television and, and, and what the world would perceive as success. It's about your own personal journey with Christ and whether you've been true to him. I think it's about doing your best, fulfilling your potential, find that potential. God has put that within all of us. Clearly, God believes in us all, else he wouldn't have given us this opportunity on this earth to fulfill his purposes. Seize your opportunities every day and don't sway under pressure. So when the goal is there and the temptation is to turn to violence, as Martin Luther King had the choice and had an awful amount of pressure put upon him to do so, he was convicted to say no. And still, he saw the achievement of the goal. He finally said, um, it was his final speech, actually, though, of course, he didn't know it at the time. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would long to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I, know, I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. And then he says, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Now, to be in that place where you've lost any sense of self, to me, you've discipled yourself. You've achieved that goal on your journey where your human fleshly being has fallen away. And of course, that's what Christ asks of us. I think it's the next scripture, Baz. There you go. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. And this is where the journey becomes encouraging. Because the pilgrimage can be tough at times. Life's tough. And we can begin to feel labored I find, by the conviction to stay on the narrow path. When the world's offering us this wonderful, broad path full of trinkets and jewels, and everybody around you is parting in that place. And, and, and you become, if you're not careful, um, affected by that. And we can lose sight of the goal. But of course, and I said this earlier, 
with Christ and the knowledge and the recognition of what he did for us, we understand the purpose of the goal. We understand that if we can reach that point, we can attain that existence of a lack of awareness of self anymore. And we can have a connection with him from a spiritual perspective that allows us to live freely without the drawback of the world, without the desires of the world to affect us, then we live in true freedom, which is what Martin Luther King was speaking of. It's a powerful place to be if you can attain it, to live without consideration for your own life anymore and to purely live for others. Now, if we all leave this place this morning, nearly 200 people, and walk into the world with no consideration for our own self, and a desire to serve others, how much can we do? Now, that could be greatness, and it may never be written down. Um, it, you may never be able to Google us as individuals and find out that we did these remarkable acts, but Christ would know what we'd done, and he would then say, well done, good and faithful servants. So as we progress along that journey, we know we're going to get attacked. We know there's going to be battles. But there's a journey's end that's worthwhile. And I think the sacrifice of ourselves is well worth taking. Because actually, with the freedom that it brings, it no longer becomes a sacrifice. The sacrifice is merely your flesh desiring to hold on to what's within the world to keep going down the wrong path. And if we follow him wholeheartedly in our discipleship, we live in freedom. We live without any consideration for the needs of the world. And Christ tells us that. Even look at the sparrows, he says, do I not feed them and clothe them? In the Lord's Prayer, again, we pray simply for our daily provision. And then we put it away, we put it aside, and we focus upon the journey's goal, which is service of others, which is living life to the full in his presence. It's a remarkable turnaround in life, remarkable, and it's completely countercultural, which takes me on to my last point. Please, Baz. Whose rules are you playing to anyway? And this is, I think, the biggest challenge, or the biggest reminder that we can give ourselves every day, because... I find it, as everybody else does, remarkably easy when I'm standing here on a Sunday morning, particularly when we're singing, and we're really fired up then because the emotion's going, and we really believe then, and we really want to do our best for God then. But then we get to the working week, or we get home this afternoon, and we're tired, and we want to sit and watch Sky Sports, and drink the coffee, or whatever it is we do. And we forget, don't we? And we start playing to somebody else's rules again. Which is the flesh. And it's why Christ came to earth to give us the example he gave us. But if we focus upon him, if we focus upon his goal, if we seek him out, if we always remember to seek him out first, then the narrow path becomes a glorious place to walk. There's one, left, uh, one scripture left, I think, Baz. Hopefully. Mark 16. I'll read it out if not. Mark 16, verse 25 says, 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, they're not my words. So when, if we rewind back to what I said at the beginning, asking God what to say today, I'm merely repeating his words now. Matthew 16, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's the prize that it's not all about sacrifice. God doesn't want to deprive us of life. God doesn't want God doesn't want us to live in such a way that we're burdened by our existence in an Old Testament style, if you like, where all we do is try and follow rules and regulations all the time and then find ourselves failing to meet the challenges and the targets that have been set for us. God wants us to rejoice in our existence. God wants us to remember that our existence, if we follow Him, is eternal. And of course, the pilgrimage through our lives is an attainment of a relationship with Christ that gives us so much, that protects us, that covers us in his love. But the true journey's end is eternity, which is a concept beyond the world and and something that, again, if you go back to pre-Christ, they would have had little concept of. We can rejoice in the knowledge that we can live with Christ in an eternal place without the difficulties, the strife, the upset of this world. But whilst we're here, be encouraged that there's a goal at the end of the journey's, uh, the journey's end. When we were away last week, um, One of the nights we were in Scotland, we had a beautiful clear night and it was pitch black like you don't get here because of course there's no lights. Um, And I went outside into the darkness, which you don't do here, you can always see. Stood outside for five or 10 minutes in the darkness. And even at, um, I suppose my time of life, you're a little bit fearful of what might be out there. And after about 10 minutes, as I was looking up into the sky, of course, the whole sky lit up with star after star after star. And the light appeared all of a sudden. Now, sometimes we walk in the darkness and we can't see Christ, but he is there. But you have to walk in faith. Sometimes... You have to enter the dark place, acknowledge your fear because it's real, but have a conviction that he is with you because he wants you to live by faith. And in faith, the light will appear and all will be well. I promise you that. And that's the journey's end, to know that you live in such a way that all will be well. Amen. I'll hand back to Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Michael. Great message. Great message. As the band uh, just sort of get themselves ready, what? Sometimes we need we need a message. 
like that. And thank you to Michael for bringing that. We need at times to go deeper and kind of intellectually, spiritually, emotionally go that little bit deeper. Because this year, as Michael has said a few times, um, we are looking at discipleship. And this next few weeks, next week, Paul and Sarah are back from their holiday. Paul's doing the next, uh, I think, the next three Sundays, the three ne- next three messages. We've adopted a phrase, discipleship on the go. Now, we could, it would be great if Paul could sit down with every one of you, disciple you one by one, one on one for the rest of your life. But that's not going to happen. It's a journey, as Michael has been saying. And this season that we're in as a church, we are, tr- we are trying to help you disciple yourself on the journey. Discipleship on the go. Um, so let's just conclude that message. And as, as Baz and the guys get ready, let's just conclude with prayer. Lord, we thank you for that great message. Lord, we thank you. Um, that you called us to follow you. God, whatever baggage we might have from the past, whatever emotions that we might be currently going through, God, ever, whatever fear or excitement we might have for our future, Lord, I thank you that you called us and you have a plan and a purpose for our life. Lord, I thank you that the, the ultimate journey's end is eternal life with you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that each of us God, as we encourage ourselves, as we encourage one another, and we allow ourselves to be encouraged by you, God, on this journey, God, through the difficult times and the great times, Lord, that we'd each go deeper with you. God, we'd each understand what it is to truly be great. God, and to, to reach that end goal of you saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant, in your name.